I'd like for us to open our Bibles, though, to the 25th chapter of the book of Exodus, if you will. Exodus chapter 25. And I'd like for you to turn in 25 and 26 and underline a few things in your Bible. Just take your pen or pencil. You can just make a mark beside the verse, if nothing else, of different things that we're going to study in detail. Does everyone have pen or pencil? Okay. So, let's look in Exodus 25 and let's drop down to verse 10. And the first thing I want you to notice, they shall make an ark of shittim wood. And just underline the ark. It says ark there in verse 10. Drop on down to verse 23. Now, follow me carefully. We're still in the 25th chapter. And it says, Thou shalt also make a table. Just underline table in verse 23. Now, drop down to verse 31. Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Candlestick. These are all pieces of furniture for the tabernacle. Then drop down to chapter 26. And in verse 1 it says, Moreover thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen. Just underline ten curtains of fine twine linen. Or just put a little... uh, Any way you want to mark it to keep track of these various things. So there's a... First, one of the coverings, you have ten curtains, fine twine linen. It would be like the ceiling of the building. And then drop on down to verse uh, 7. We're in chapter 26 now. Verse 7. Thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be covering for the, to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. There was a reason for eleven curtains because you had to have it larger to cover the ceiling, in other words, the roof is larger than the ceiling, right? You have a roof on this, you have the ceiling of this building, but you have the roof that hangs over. And this was a part, we call it the first part of the roof, if you want to just use that term. And then let's drop down to verse 14. Thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red. And it tells you how many and so on earlier, and we'll get into that. And this was also a larger covering, so it would hang over the sides. Of ram skins dyed red. Now look, in the same verse, verse 14, and a covering of badger skins. So you had four coverings for the tabernacle. You had the fine twine linen, then you had the, the goat's hair, and then you had ram skins dyed red. And the last covering on the outside was badger skins. All of these are symbolical and very important to understand as we will study it when we get to it. Uh, In verse 15, Thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle. And then on down, let's drop down to verse 19, Thou shalt make 40 uh, sockets of silver under the 20 boards. It tells how many boards, and we'll get into that detailed study later on. But you had sockets of silver. So when you come to to the construction of the tabernacle, the boards went around, they formed the walls of the building, but they were set into sockets of silver, uh, about 80, 90 pound weight, the silver sockets. So that these boards, these boards had two tenons, like, you know, if you're in carpentry, you have tenons on a board. And then the silver had sockets for these boards to set in. So that the boards constructed the walls, but the silver uh, sockets were 
large in weight, and they formed the foundation. That's why they were so heavy. And uh, we'll get into a detailed study on that. But we'll continue just pointing out some things. Now drop down to verse 26. Thou shalt make bars of shittim wood, and you'll find that each of them were covered with gold. Uh, you'd cover these bars with gold. And uh, if you go on down to verse 29, thou shalt overlay the boards with gold and make the rings and so on. And, the, and verse 29 says, thou shalt cover the, overlay the bars with gold. So you had the boards that, that formed the walls and they were overlaid with gold and the bars that went in the sides, bars were long uh, boards covered with gold that went into things that were fashioned to the, to the walls so it would hold it straight and hold it together. And you have the number of them and that's what they were for. It's like if you were to put a wall up and the walls were just standing there, you need some purlins or something to... You need some pieces going all the way through to hold it steady and to keep it straight. And you'll have, we'll get into the number of bars and everything in our detailed study. And then if you'll drop on down in verse 31, you're still in the 26th chapter. It says, And thou shalt make a veil of blue. There was a veil inside the tabernacle, and it was hung upon four pillars, pillars in verse 32. And you have all the details of making that veil. And on down in verse 33, it tells you the last part of it. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. So let me give you the picture of it. The veil would be like, say, we had the veil here. And this would be called the holy place. And then behind that veil would be the most holy place. Or this was called the sanctuary, or the Holy of Holies. It had two different names. It's either the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And we'll get into that first thing I mentioned, the ark that we pointed out in the first thing of our studies tonight, which was behind that veil. I'm just trying to give you a kind of a mental picture of what you'll find. And then, of course, you drop on down. It says in verse... Uh, 34, and thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark, the testimony in the most holy place. Now look at this. The mercy seat was actually the covering for that ark that we mentioned at the beginning. Remember when we first started? In 25, verse 10, the ark that you make. Well, the mercy seat was the lid. Let's just picture this. And I'm just trying to give you a visual now. And then we'll get into the study of these things later. But picture this. An ark was like a cedar chest or an oblong box. And the mercy seat was the lid that covered the ark with the cherubims of gold overshadowing the mercy seat. Uh, We'll get into detail what was in that ark and, and what it meant by its presence. It was signifying the presence of God in the most holy place. And that's where... There was a golden pot of manna in remembrance of God giving them manna to feed them in the wilderness. And by the way, it stayed okay because God prescribed it. Remember how it rotted before when they uh, kept it when they were not supposed to and so on. We told you about that. But it was 
in remembrance of God feeding them while they were in the wilderness. And then there was Aaron's rod that budded, gave life. And then there was also the tables of the law. The Ten Commandments were in there. And they were kept. Let me just say by passing, while I'm trying to give you the visual of this thing, that the tables of the covenant were found in this ark. And there they were preserved. So that typifying Christ and all of this does, and we'll give you some more details and statements about that in just a moment. But typifying Christ, He is that ark. And where is the law kept? In Jesus Christ. He kept the law perfectly. In fact, if you read Romans 8, I believe it's verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So once we're in Christ, He has kept the law perfectly for us, and we walk in the Spirit. Now, we're not bound by commandments so that we have to be justified by them. For we're justified by Christ having kept the law for us and uh, forgiveness of our sins. And therefore, we walk in a spiritual way because the Lord is in us. And He's already done what we couldn't do. He has kept the law and we have not kept it. But that's just one point of the study of that ark. And the mercy seat represents uh, propitiation for our sins. In fact, the mercy seat, the lid of that ark, uh, is spoken of as a mercy seat. And you'll find that mercy seat means propitiation. And it's, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only. John tells us, I believe it's First John chapter 3, uh, no, chapter 2, uh, for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. First John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I believe. My little children, these things are right unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do I have that right Scripture? Has anyone looked at it? Sometimes it's the third chapter when I say the second. So I better check it out. Make sure that I tell you the right thing. Chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. I do remember once in a while. Alright? So let's go on with this. And we're giving you these kind of highlights in, in these chapters. But now if you have chapter 27, well, let's continue with chapter 26. Exodus chapter 26. And we talked about the mercy seat. Now then, in verse 35, Thou shalt set the table without the veil and the candlestick over against the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. Let me give you a picture of this. First of all, if you were to come in the door, the entrance to the tabernacle, say like our front door, if you were to come in the entrance of that door, the first thing you would find would be on this side, you'd find the table of showbread. We've got our communion table on this side. You'd find on the other side, the golden candlestick. You'd find it on this side. Only it would be a seven-branched candlestick. And then you'd find up here the altar of incense. Before you come to this veil here, it's called the altar of incense where the priest would burn incense. And this was on a daily basis. They kept these things, the candlestick and the table of showbread. They changed it ever so often. 
and tended to it according to their instructions. And then, behind this veil, where we had that ark that is telling you about, the ark of the covenant with the mercy seat, uh, overshadowed cherubims of gold, overshadowed uh, the mercy seat, all of one piece of gold, beaten work of gold, not any parts in it, all of one piece. Now that took some real skill, didn't it? To make this lid and then make these pieces all out of one piece of beaten work of gold fashioned that way. When we talk about artists that we have now, they had some then. Wise-hearted men that knew what they were doing. But anyway, uh, this Ark of the Covenant behind this veil, I don't know if I'll ever get to my lesson tonight, but this Ark of the Covenant behind the veil, only the high priest would go behind that veil and only once a year he would come in with the blood of a brazen altar. We'll find that outside the door of the tabernacle just as you enter the gate, the court, or the fence around it. You'll find a brazen altar. And when he would come and offer the sacrifices there, he would take of that blood and enter in and he'd lift aside this veil, go behind the into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, not without blood, the Bible says. And he would sprinkle that blood upon the mercy seat. And then he would come out and on that day of atonement that he would do this, he would he would be rolling forward the sins of the children of Israel for a whole year at a time. Isn't that an amazing thing that God did to show that their sins were not completely yet covered but they were rolled forward, forward, forward until what? Jesus died on the cross and became the one perfect sacrifice, not only for their sins, but for yours and mine. And then it was fulfilled. And they had no need to do that anymore when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. And all of those sacrifices pointed forth to Christ. And that's why Paul says in the New Testament, for even Christ... Our Passover is sacrificed for us. And He is a sin offering and the uh, burnt offering and the peace offering and all of the offerings that were blood offerings. He made Colossians 1, I believe it's verse 14. Is it Colossians 1, verse 18? Probably. It says uh, that... Uh, having made peace by the blood of His cross. Check that one out and see if I got the right one. Colossians 1 verse 18. And having made peace by the blood of His cross, and He reconciled all things unto Himself. Now then, uh, I think, let's see if we pointed out most of these things. No, we haven't. Let's drop down to chapter 27. We didn't get into 27 yet, have we? And I'm just having you to outline or at least mark some of the things that we're going to study and when we study them in detail, you'll know exactly where they are. Look at chapter 27, verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood. Now this altar is what we just referred to as the brazen altar. And it's outside of the tabernacle. It's at the entrance of the gate of the court. As We'll just say, let me picture this. Like this building had a big fence built around it. And you had a gate right out in the front, directly in front. And that brazen altar would be right in front of that gate. You have well look at your picture. I won't have to say any more. You can look at the picture and see what I'm talking about. If I can find mine. 
There it is. And see, look at your picture. See, at the entrance of that gate, you have the brazen altar there of sacrifice. That might be the best way to, to get what I'm talking about. And uh, then after you look at that, drop on down uh, to see in verse 9, it says, And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle. And the court would be that fence that we, you look at on your, your picture. You see that picture? That's called the court of the tabernacle. And it tells you the, the way it's to be made. Verse 9, and drop on down to verse 16 now. It says, And for the gate of the court shall be in hanging. So you, you have the hanging of uh, on the gate there. And you can see that. And, uh, well, I guess we're about to get to the end of what we need to show you as far as different things that are involved. But if you drop on down to verse uh, 17 and you see all the pillars round about the court. You have pillars that are spoken of. And down verse 19, the pins of the court shall be brass. By the way, it's important that we realize that the pins that hold... Like you know, you drive a, a stake in the ground. You Say, if you're set, setting up a tent, you drive the tent stakes in the ground. They had to be of brass to hold the the walls of this court, this fence. They had to be of brass. I'll give you that later on. And uh, then on down in verse 20, it says, Thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring the pure oil olive. And we'll get into the, that and what it means uh, later on. So we'll drop back to chapter 25 now and try to begin with some studies here. First of all, in uh, talking about the tabernacle here, it's one of the most important and instructive studies and, and it's one of the most important types you'll find in the Bible. Everything. In fact, in the Psalms, I, I don't have the verse at hand, but one of the Psalms says, in the temple or in the tabernacle or in the sanctuary, every whit uttereth His glory. So it all speaks of God and His glory. And we know His glory is in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But everything speaks of His glory. So we have no qualms in trying to point out the uh, typology of the ark. And the tabernacle is a visible illustration of the heavenly place in which God has His dwelling. God now dwells in heaven. There was a time that he dwelt in this tabernacle that uh, Moses erected according to what God told him to do. Then later on, there was a time that he dwelt in the holy temple that was built in place to replace, so to speak, the tabernacle. And then there was a time that he dwelt in Christ. It says that Christ was made flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And when Jesus was upon this earth, and I'll give you the references in a little bit. In that fact, that's John 1, verse 14, I believe. I get ahead of myself in these notes and in my teaching and preaching because I get a little bit anxious. But anyway, uh, the tabernacle is a picture of Jesus Christ, who is the meeting place between God and men. And then the tabernacle is a type of Christ in the church. 
He dwells in the congregation now. And because Christ dwells in the congregation, God dwells in the congregation. Remember in Ephesians, I didn't uh, probably read it this morning, that uh, we have become an habitation of God through the Spirit. That's the last part of Ephesians 2 when we're preaching this morning. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And we're fitted together for an habitation of God in the Spirit. I believe that's chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 20 and 21. Now then, uh, we need to understand that the tabernacle is a picture of communion with Jesus Christ, with all believers, that they commune with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there's so many things that we need to understand. And the first type is clearly stated. How do we know that this is a place where God dwells? And God has His dwelling now in heaven. Look in the book of Hebrews 9, verse 23 and 24. Hebrews chapter 9, and verses 23 and 24. I want you to notice this. <clears throat> It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. And he's just talked about the uh, uh, sanctifi- sanctification and consecration here in Hebrews 9 of the, of the uh, people and the book, the law, and so on. But he says in verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Now look at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands. You know, Moses made this. The men, wise men that he chose, and, and uh, those that were talented to do the work. Men and women, by the way. And the women embroidered the things... Uh, the linen covering, the ceiling, and the curtains that separated, and the veil and all this. There was embroidered work. And the women did their work in building it. The men did their work. And it says, For Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands. Look at this statement. Which are figures of the true. Those things that we've been studying and will study are figures of the true. But he says, but into heaven itself, this is where Christ has entered, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So Christ is in that place of dwelling in heaven which was figured or pictured by this tabernacle of old where it was a dwelling place for God, for Israel, later on in the temple, later on in the person of Christ when He dwelt among us. And now, He's entered into the heavenly tabernacle, if you want to put it that way, our holy place. And He's now there as our high priest appearing in the presence of God for us. Behind the veil into the very presence of God for us. Just as the high priest appeared for the children of Israel behind that veil, and Jesus sprinkled His own blood in the heavenly places, after His crucifixion and His resurrection, remember when He would touch Mary? Mary wanted to, And Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, John chapter 19, is it? Or 20? Chapter 20. And He said, Touch Me not, for I am not yet ascended to My Father. 
He says, I go to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And later on, all the women touched Him and held Him by His hands and feet. By the feet, I should say. Because at that time, in some sense of the word, and we will not know this till uh, we talk with the Lord in heaven, He went into the heavenlies and made atonement with His blood in the presence of a holy God for us and completed what the Old Testament priest did a year at a time behind that veil. He completed it once and for all. Isn't it an amazing thing that God did for us? So that the blood that was shed, that He shed on the cross, and in what form or fashion He did this, is yet in His own mind and and in His own wisdom. But why would He say to Mary Magdalene, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but I go into my Father and your Father. This is after the resurrection. When she thought He was the gardener. I believe I have it right. John chapter 20. Okay. And then... We read in Matthew's Gospel where the women came and held Him by the feet in the resurrection that we've been studying. In fact, I think we had it this morning. Did we not? In Matthew 28, verse 9, And as they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. At this point, He says, All hail. The women met Him. This is already after Mary Magdalene had been told not to touch Him. And it says, All hail. And they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. He didn't say, touch me not then. So evidently, he had completed what he had told Mary Magdalene that he had to do. So when we're talking about the tabernacle, we have a study that you can approach from every direction and we'll never exhaust it. That's why I'm uh, trying to give some things here uh, before we get into the detailed study of these different pieces of furniture that make up the outside furniture in the court and that which is inside, and that which is behind the veil. I want you to get a full picture of this because I believe it will be a real blessing to you. So this first type is clearly seen, that it's God's dwelling place in heaven. And we just gave you Hebrews 9, verse 23 and 24. And then the second is that the tabernacle is a type of Christ Himself. And we could uh, give you several things. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself. God, God was in Christ. And then we find in Hebrews 10, verse 5, that God sent Him down and says, A body hast thou prepared. Uh, he was especially made. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. So Christ was the body that God sent down from heaven to do the work that He did on the cross of Calvary. And the third aspect is Christ and His church. Uh, as the tabernacle, at the tabernacle, God and His people met together. And if you read John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, but we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it says He tabernacled among us. Let's read John chapter 1, verse 14, and we'll go on down and read what I just quoted. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled among us. That word dwelt means tabernacled. 
And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Christ dwelt in among us. At least the people that were there present when Jesus was upon this earth. So He tabernacled among men. And then when He went back to heaven, we just read in Hebrews 9, verse 23 and 24, where, he, where He's tabernacling in heaven now. He's dwelling in heaven. And the things of this earth are a picture of that, that place in heaven. And Paul says, it's figures of the true. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And then uh, we find that uh, the third aspect that we just mentioned is Christ and His church. Now then, the key to the tabernacle then is what? Is Christ. He's the key to the tabernacle. When we study it throughout as a whole and in all of its parts, the tabernacle foreshadows Christ in His person and in His work. So we're going to find that when we begin to study it, all of this is more or less introductory. Because when we begin to study it, we're going to find that it's typical of Him, His person, and it's typical of His work that He does. Now I want you to notice these things. That the tabernacle was a temporary appointment. I'll give you a number of them. The first thing. It was a temporary appointment. It was a tent, actually. A temporary convenience. It was so... Uh, that the earthly journey of our Lord Jesus Christ was brief. He was temporarily tabernacling among us. What do we say? 33 and a half years? I mean, that's very temporary. When some of us have outlived that many years. He was in the prime of His manhood when He was crucified on the cross. For which purpose He came into the world? To die for our sins. Thank God that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If there's anything we should be thankful for, it's that God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Sometimes we speak of it, and yet I wonder if our hearts fully embrace and fully understand the sacrifice that God made in giving His Son. The sacrifice that Jesus willingly made when He, when he voluntarily gave Himself. But it was of a temporary appointment. So that Jesus came into this world not to live, but to die. I mean, it was temporary, wasn't it? The life of Christ was temporary. And then the tabernacle was for use in the wilderness. After Israel settled, the tabernacle was super. Uh, superseded by the temple. So it was for use in the wilderness. It pictured that time when the, when the word tabernacled among men. And it all pointed to that. And then the third thing, the tabernacle was uh, humble and unattractive in outward appearance. You know, it was, it was unattractive in outward appearance, we said. Remember that? What did people see as they approached it from the hillside and looked down upon this little thing had the fence. The fence was pretty nice looking. Made of white linen and so on and all the stuff. But when they saw that little building inside, they saw nothing but badger skins. Kind of old, dingy badger skins. The covering of the outside of it. We mentioned those coverings a little bit ago. 
under that. There was uh, ram skins dyed red. There was goat's hair. And then that beautiful ceiling with embroidered work, linen, white, inside. So between the inside and the outside, you had goat's hair, symbolical of sin bearing, and ram skin dyed red, symbolical of bloodshed. And on the outside, you see, as the world sees Christ, what do they see? Badger skin. In Isaiah 53, it says, when we shall see Him, there's no beauty that we should desire Him. There's no beauty. Isaiah points to Christ and he says, there's no beauty that we... Look in Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Let me read it for you. It says this, In verse uh, 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. As a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. Look at that. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I mean, there wasn't anything special from the outside. He is despised and rejected of men. The man of sorrows and acquainted with But look at that verse 2. What is it then that we find? That there's no beauty that we desire Him. It means that from the outside, as the world looks upon Christ, they don't see anything special. Remember, He walked among men. But for His own, what did He do at one time for Peter, James, and John? He took them up on a high mountain apart to pray and also... He was transfigured before them, and the Bible says, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. It says, so white that no fuller of earth could have whitened it. It was white and glistening, or glistering, as one of the gospel writers says. They all give a, a an account of, <coughs> of their vision of what happened. Matthew says that he was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So the glory and beauty of Christ came from within. It was not what he had on the outside, but he had so much glory within that even his garments showed forth that glory and that majesty. Can you imagine that? The reason you can see what I'm talking about is in these coverings of the of the ta- tabernacle. What was on the inside? That white linen of... Let me read it. Boy, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at chapter 26, verse 1. Moreover, thou shalt make the, ta- make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen. Look at this. We're talking about the ceiling now. Fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work thou shalt make them. Cherubims of cunning work. You see, there was all kinds of special embroidery work, cunning work in this ceiling. Can you visualize that? And then when we get down to those badger skins, and as I said, I'm way ahead of myself. What do you find? Old dingy looking badger skins. Under that, ram skins dyed red. Underneath, what looks to be from men on the outside is not very attractive. Underneath, it's Christ shed blood. And underneath that, a sin bearer. The goat's hair. Remember, 
on the Day of Atonement. I hope I can teach this later on. But on the Day of Atonement, they had two goats that was offered for a sin offering. I've given you this before. One was killed and the blood was shed. And it was a part... They both goats formed one offering. And the other one was taken with a rope around his neck by the hands of a qualified man, a fit man it says in the Scripture. We study this in the book of Leviticus. And he was carried away into the wilderness. And he was let go into a land uninhabited. And then the man would return and that completed that sacrifice. Okay? There was bloodshed in that sin offering. So Christ is our sin bearer and He bore our sins in His own body on the tree, Peter tells us. But then also, in doing that, He took away our sins so that they would not be remembered anymore into a land of forgetfulness. And so when the man came back, the children of Israel would say, our, our sins are gone. And God says that their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. You find that in Psalm 103. I don't know, maybe verse 12. But it's in Psalm 103 for sure. Psalm 103. It says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. I may have the wrong verse. But anyway, it is in the right chapter. Uh, is the right verse? I left out again, didn't I? Okay. But anyway... And uh, we find that it not only says uh, as far as east. What does it mean? As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgression from us. That means they'll never be found. God has removed them. We sing the song, gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. And they're gone. And God says, I will not remember them anymore. And God says, they're buried in the depths of the sea. He says, I blotted them out as a thick cloud. And he says, I won't even remember them. Isn't it good that a holy God will not remember how wicked we are? Because of Christ's shed blood. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful things to study in this tabernacle. We said that it's outward appearance. And we said that the tabernacle was God's dwelling place. We've already touched on that. And the tabernacle is the place uh, where God met with man. And you know, God met with us when Jesus tabernacled among us. Jesus came and He said, I, in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father by, but by Me. Jesus was upon this earth. And First uh, Timothy 2, verse 5, write these down, uh, tells us that there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Who? The man Christ Jesus. All these are very important things. And then the tabernacle was the center of Israel's camp. You read that in Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. It was the center of Israel's camp. And then we find also that Jesus said, where two, how, how is it that He tabernacles in the church? He says, where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst of them. So He tabernacles in the church today. And then the tabernacle was a place where the law was preserved. We've already mentioned that the law was preserved there. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 2 through 5. Well, first, look at Exodus 32, 19. 
And then we'll give the one in verse in Deuteronomy 10. But Exodus chapter 32 and verse 19. Look at this. It says, And it came to pass as soon as he came down. Well, that's not the one I want. Well, it is. We'll, we'll read that. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp that he saw the calf and with the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot and cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. So it was a broken law. And then God gave him the commandments to replace that law so that they would be in a place of safekeeping. So then turn over to Deuteronomy 10 verses 2 through 5. 10 verses 2 through 5. Well, let's just read verses 1 through 5. Deuteronomy 10 verse 1. At that time the Lord said unto me, now Moses speaking, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. The first ones he broke. We just read that. Now look. Uh, And come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. See, that's the ark we spoke of a little bit ago. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. The two tables of stone were put where? In the ark. And I made an ark of shittim wood, and hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and went up unto the mount, having the two tables in mine hand. (coughs) And he wrote on the tables according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, look at that, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them unto me. Now look, and I turned myself and came down from the mount, and put the tables in the ark which I had made, and there they be, as the Lord commanded me. We can go later on. We'll find it later on when the ark was opened up in a future time that they found the two tables of stone that Moses had placed there. For what? Safekeeping. How is the ark kept safe? The ark is a picture. I mean, how are the tables of the law kept safe? The ark is a picture of Christ. We've been over this ground at just a minute point before. They're kept perfectly in Christ and kept safely in Christ. The law, the commandments, 